All right, so we are making our way through Unit 5 of God's Economics. Unit 5 is Seek First the Kingdom of God. And we're up to God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. So God's original design for mankind, God created heaven and earth. God created all things that are created. And we've talked about this and the generosity of God. He gave all of it away as a free gift to mankind. He said, here you go, rule and reign over the earth and everything that is created. Now, God's original design, his original intent was he told Adam and his wife, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth right? He wanted a lot of people. He wanted a big family, one family all over the world, all in right relationship with God. This is before the fall of man. We're just looking at what God's original purpose for mankind was. You could say it this way. God always wanted a kingdom. He always wanted a people for himself. He wanted a people that he was in relationship with and who would glorify him by doing things his way and ruling the earth according to his design. God always wanted a kingdom, and God is the king of that kingdom. Jesus is the king of that kingdom. But mankind has really totally no pun intended, royally, messed that up pretty much from the beginning. But we, as New Covenant believers, we are called to seek first God's kingdom. God's kingdom, right? To have in our mind, Paul said it uh, to the Colossians, think of the things that are above. You are raised with Christ. Think of the things that are above, not the things that are of this earth, not the things that are of this world. You are seated in Christ in the heavenly realm. Think of the things that are above, the kingdom of heaven, the world that is to come, the inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. Okay, these are the things that God wants us seeking first, keeping our minds on, keeping our priorities on. This is what will help us endure and persevere and stay focused on what really matters. So let's take a look. The definition is there in your study guide. What is the definition, at least in the Greek, uh, of kingdom? And I know just for those of you out there, I'm just touching on each of these points briefly. This is uh, not a whole course on the kingdom of God. This I just pulled some of these scriptures together to kind of give you like an adjustment, you know, like get, get the plumb line going of what the kingdom of heaven, what the kingdom of God is really like, but it's not an entire dissertation on the kingdom. So we're just looking at a few scriptures here just to give you some perspective on the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. So the definition, kingdom, royal power, kingship, dominion, rule, the royal power of Jesus as the triumphant Messiah, a territory subject to the rule and reign of a king. 
Okay, so we've talked um, maybe in other classes, uh, I covered this extensively in The Gospel is the Power, uh, about how the whole world is under the power of the evil one, right? So the prince of this world is the evil one. But we know that Jesus has conquered even him, that Jesus is the name above all names, the king above all kings. So the whole world, all authority in heaven and earth and under the earth has been given to Jesus. All right. And when he brings in judgment, he will judge this world by fire, and this world and the existing heavens will roll up like a scroll. The earth will be judged by fire. The heavens will roll up like a scroll, and he will bring a new heavens and a new earth, and he will rule over that forever. He already has all authority, but there are still these powers that are at work in the earth. The reason that he allows those powers to remain with their influence is because he desires for everyone to repent through knowledge of the truth and be saved. It is not because he is weak. It is not because he lacks authority. It is not because he lacks dominion. It is because he is patient. It is because he is kind. It is because he is loving and merciful and good. Okay, but Jesus is is the king. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. He's the one in charge. He's the top dog. He is the one who is the sovereign ruler of all. And if you call yourself a believer, then you have a king. Are you treating your relationship with God as if you have a king? Or are you treating your relationship with God like you have a magician who is there to serve your purposes and give you what you want? Do you have a king or do you have a genie in a bottle? If you're really a follower of Jesus, you have a king. And Jesus is the king, okay? But let's take a look at some of the scriptures that give us a little bit of a picture, a little bit of a taste of what the kingdom of heaven is really like and what people are doing in the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is a place where the God of creation— the creator of heaven and earth, the only one, the most high God, the God of Israel— is worshiped. And the lamb that was slain, that's Jesus, is worshiped night and day as the only one who is worthy of all praise, the only one who is worthy to open the scroll. The only one that what that means is he's the only one worthy to judge. He's the only one with authority over time and space and judgment of the Lord. Right? So let's look at Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Worthy are you. This is the cry of heaven. Is this the cry of your heart? Because this is what heaven is singing constantly, day and night, night and day. Heaven cannot stop singing the praises of the Lord. Worthy are you, O Lord and God, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Wow. Honoring God, 
putting him first, acknowledging who he is, acknowledging that he created all things, and without him, we are nothing. We are nothing. We don't even exist. We don't have even a breath in our lungs if God does not give it to us. Worthy is the Lord to receive all glory and honor and our deepest submission in every aspect of our lives. That's what it is to be a part of God's kingdom, to acknowledge his worthiness, not just in our talk, but in our actions. In Revelation 5, there's another passage. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and look into it. No one. So there have been some righteous people. You know, Abraham, he believed God. It was counted to him as righteous, righteousness. You know, David, King David, yeah, he had some moral failures, but he was called a man after God's own heart. You can believe that he's in heaven. But no one in heaven is like our Jesus. No one in heaven lived the perfect life. No one in heaven laid down that perfect life as a sacrificial lamb to shed his blood for the sins of all mankind. No one, no one even came close. There was no one in heaven and certainly no one on earth or under the earth in the realm of the dead who was able to open the scroll. Verse 4, And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, that means the offspring of David, that's the promised Messiah, Jesus fulfilled that, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So take note, pause for a second. He heard, this is John who wrote the book of Revelation. People like to talk about, rawr, the lion, rawr, the lion is coming. He came the first time as a lamb, but now he's coming as the the lion, rawr. Okay. That's one way of going about it. John heard an elder say to him, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered. But then John looked. So that's what he heard. He heard about the lion of the tribe of Judah. But when he looked, he saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Hmm. The lion, the king, the representation, the metaphoric representation of all authority, of the most ferocious beast, the king of the beast world, the lion is 
the lamb that was slain. Think about that. The one who conquered was the one who laid down his life. The one who is exalted in God's kingdom is not the one who goes, Rawr! Submit to me! Bow down to me! I'm the creator of the whole world! I've got all the resources! Do the things that I say! Rawr! That's not the lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah is the lamb who laid down his life. For that, he receives all glory. For that, he receives all honor. For that, he is worthy to open the scrolls. In the kingdom of heaven, it is not the way of the lion that is exalted. It is the way of the lamb. And if we are truly part of God's kingdom, we will be led in the ways of the Lamb. Not the ways of Babylon, not the ways of Cain, not the ways of Nimrod, not the ways of dominating and controlling and manipulating other people, not the way of money, the way of the Lamb. We're up to verse 7. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. So the lamb was seated on the throne. The lamb is the one with the authority in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom. Ding, ding, ding. What's the kingdom? You have made them a kingdom. We have been made into that people of God, God's original design for mankind, that mankind so royally screwed up. We have been made into that kingdom, not because of anything that we did, but because the lamb laid down his life for us. It was in the heart of Jesus to give God the kingdom that he always longed for. And so he laid down his life. He shed his blood to give God God's desire by purifying a people that would be pure, that could be in the presence of God to be the kingdom that he always desired to rule and reign in the earth with him. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. What does a priest do? A priest represents God to the people and a priest represents the people to God. So we are servants of God. We are in the kingdom, but that does not make us equal with God. We are still his servants, his priests, his deputies, his delegates, and they shall reign on the earth. We shall reign the way that God originally wanted Adam and Eve and their big family. They were supposed to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth so that they could all rule and reign on the earth with God in relationship and fellowship with God. 
but they messed it up, so Jesus had to die and shed his blood, and he did so as a sacrificial lamb. And now, through faith in Jesus, we have been made into that kingdom so that we can reign on the earth according to God's design and in fellowship with God. We're up to verse 11. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Hallelujah! You know, so often, if you attend many prayer meetings, they're saying, worthy is the lamb, so I can receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's wrong order. Worthy is the lamb. He is the one who is worthy. He is the one with all the power. He is the one worthy of all our wealth. We don't use God to get wealth. He's worthy of all the wealth because all the wealth we have came from him anyway. It's a great joy to give it all back to him. He is the one who has all the wisdom. He is the one who has all the power. He's the one that we need to honor and give glory, bring glory to him by doing things his way. He is the one that we bless by giving back to him what he gave to us. We're up to verse 13. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Hallelujah. And there's that song going through my head. To him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. All right, I'm not going to sing. This is a podcast, but oh my goodness, I could sing that song all day. Be blessing and honor and glory and power forever. Okay, I couldn't help myself. We're up to verse 14. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Is that your view of the kingdom of God? Are you seeking the place where God is honored like that? Or are you seeking for God to help you make your own little kingdom on earth by blessing you and giving you honor and giving you power and giving you wealth and wisdom? What are you seeking? What are you really all about? Friend, it's time to ask that question today. So we're going to keep going. The kingdom of God, another description of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where God dwells and everything is holy. Everything is holy. Why? Because God is holy and nothing unholy can come into his presence. Everything is holy in the kingdom of God. You can read the final chapters of the book of Revelation. You can read the final chapter of the book of Ezekiel. Everything in the city of God is holy. 
But in the city of God, there is also, there's no sin because sin is not holy. There's no sickness. There's no mourning. There's no death. There's no crying. There's no pain. Because there is the source of life. We are connected directly, dwelling with God, who is the source of all life. In the kingdom of God, we've been restored to right relationship with God. That's what the gospel does for us. It is the ministry of reconciliation between God and man. But this verse from Revelation 21 It's talking about the heavenly city descending from heaven to the earth, the the world to come. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. So when the new heavens and the new earth come, God is yet again able to dwell with his people. The way that he dwelt with Adam and Eve in the garden before they fell, before they fell into sin, and he had to banish them from his presence. But God's original design was always to have a kingdom of people who he could dwell with and dwell among. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Hallelujah. Those are all things of the fall of mankind. Those are all things of the brokenness, the wretchedness of this world. But in the world to come, in the kingdom of God, there are none of these things. And I, I even am familiar with a, um, a ministry that teaches healing this way. It's a very basic way, but it can be effective. It, it, it's, it just kind of helps you snap your thinking into, you know, we, we, people come up, especially in Western cultures with all these like, oh, it's not, it's not a spiritual thing. It's like, I need to take, I need to eat more garlic and then it will solve my problem. Or I need to do this and it will solve my problem. Well, but this is a very simplified way of understanding the healing of God in a new covenant context. Okay, you take whatever sickness there is and you say that sickness does not exist in the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, in Jesus name, be healed. Okay, we're seeking the kingdom. It's the most simple, totally simple way of understanding. You know what? If you're in God's kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ, in God's kingdom, that sickness, it isn't there. So in the name of Jesus, sickness be gone. You have no permission to be in the body of this person because they are part of the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, there's no crying, there's no death, there's no mourning, there's no sickness, there's no pain. Hallelujah. The former things have passed away. Now, yes, I understand for some of you people who have difficulty believing that God still heals today, you know, and I already said this theologically accurately, this is talking about the world to come. But at the same time, you have to admit that much of what we're talking about in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, is already and not yet at the same time. 
I, you know, most people say already, but not yet. I'm going to say already and not yet. Yes, there are aspects of dwelling with God that are not available to us until the new heavens and the new earth are brought to, uh, to pass into existence. But we are, we do have access to the kingdom of heaven. We are the kingdom of God as new covenant believers. And if we will have faith to believe, then we can have all of the benefits of kingdom life. And God, God, by the Holy Spirit, he came to dwell in us already. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. Each one of us is a walking, talking temple of God. We are the representatives of God in the earth. Don't you know your body is the temple of the living God? God is already dwelling with you if you are truly, genuinely a new covenant believer. And so we can't limit God by our own inability to conceive his goodness and what he wants to do for us as the benefits of the new covenant, what Jesus died to give us through the shedding of his blood, through the atonement of our sins. We've become part of the kingdom of heaven. But that opens the question, are you seeking first the kingdom of heaven or are you seeking all your other solutions? Are you seeking all the things of this world? What's your mind on? What's your focus on? What's your priority on? And I did include this. This is just verse 8 of Revelation chapter 21. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, people don't often talk about that one. Do you have faith? Do you actually believe? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you don't have faith, you're not going to make it. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, if you still tell a little lie here and there, you exaggerate here and there, make yourself look better, make others look worse, you're a liar. Liars will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You need to stop. You need to repent and put your trust in God so that you learn to tell the truth. Speak what is right and let God protect you. Let God defend you. Speak the truth. Don't lie. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Cowardly, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars. That's your portion. And I have a book. I'm not trying to promote the book. Those of you who know me, I, I don't do self-promotion. I am I am sharing with you about a resource that exists. But in a book that the Lord had me pull together, it's called Daily Prayer Focus. It is one of our core curriculum books. But in that book, there is a section on who will and will not enter the kingdom of God. There's a section on praying the prayers of the kingdom of God. God, including a section about what the scripture says about who will enter the kingdom of God and who will not enter the kingdom of God. So if you're really serious about seeking the kingdom of God, you don't need to buy the book. That's not what I'm saying. You can. You're welcome to buy the book. I think we have the hard copy and we have the ebook as well. You can download that, print it out, pray over it yourself. That's great. You can also do all the work for yourself in the scripture. I didn't do anything special that you are not capable of doing. You can go and find all of the scriptures pertaining to this subject the same way that I did. But if you're focused really on the kingdom of God, you would be well served by finding out what the scripture has to say about who will and will not enter the kingdom of God. Why? 
Because if you want to enter the kingdom of God, if you want to be one who stands before Jesus and says, well done, good and faithful servant, you've been faithful, you've been faithful with a little, I will, I will give you much and enter into your, the joy of your master. If you want to hear that, then you need to make sure that all of the descriptions of someone who will enter into the kingdom of God are what you're doing in your life. Don't get self-deceived. Don't think you're doing what you're not. Be really honest with yourself and really honest with God. You can intellectually know lots of things, but are you really doing it in your life? Especially you Westerners, intellectual assent is not faith. Intellectual assent is not the same as doing it in your actions. And you also want to look at the, the things of the people who will not enter the kingdom of God and make sure that you're not doing those things. That's called repentance. So it's not just the unbelievers that need to repent because they don't believe Jesus and they need to believe Jesus. And then they can go right back to living their life the way that they were before. But phew, at least they got some second death insurance. So they'll be in heaven. They'll be in the kingdom of God, not in the second death. Nope, that's not the gospel, friends. We've got to conform our lives to the description of the kingdom of heaven. And as we do that, God will pour out his abundant and wonderful blessings on us. And that's not just material provision. That is his wisdom. That is his grace. That is his mercy. That is his understanding. That is his presence. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The Lord dwelling with us is our joy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, and just this last point, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is where the cloud of witnesses all testify. They are there in heaven singing, worthy, worthy, worthy are you. Holy, 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 worthy is the lamb who was slain. That's what the cloud of witnesses are talking about, are singing about all day long. They testify to the goodness and the faithfulness and the power of God. And I've heard this scripture taught so many times that this cloud of witnesses is looking at us and cheering for us, but they're not cheering for us. The Bible is not about you, people. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about his goodness. It's about his faithfulness. The cloud of witnesses are not looking down at you and being like, oh yeah, you go, girl. No. The cloud of witnesses, what do witnesses do? They testify. They testify of what they have seen and what they have heard. They're there as witnesses that we get to through the encouragement of the scripture. So Hebrews 12, that's where this expression comes from, is, you know, who knows why they put the demarcations of the chapters, you know, in some of the places that they chose to stop one chapter and start another chapter. That is not how the original letters were formatted. That didn't come until much later, until I think even up into the, to the 1500s or around that time. There were no chapters and verses 
verses marking out and making a delineation. So Hebrews chapter 12 is a continuation of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is called the Hall of Faith. It's about the faithful ones, the ones who we talked about earlier were not worthy of this world. The world was not worthy of them. They were worthy to enter into eternal life because of their radical faith in God, because their only priority was seeking the city of God and nothing of this world. They are the cloud of witnesses. The Hebrews 11, the listing of the people there, and it also gives credit. There were other righteous people throughout the course of history who had their sights fixed. They sought first the kingdom of God, the city of God the righteous one, the holy one, the maker of heaven and earth. So they're not there testifying of what a great person you are. You're not. They are there to testify to you of what a great God you have. They're there to testify to you, don't give up. Keep persevering. Run with endurance the race that is set before you. Those of you who know that that's the scripture that follows this one, hopefully, bing, the light just went off and you see this scripture in a new light. These cloud of witnesses are like, keep going. Don't give up on God. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how weary you might be, no matter how brutal the persecution against you might be, don't give up on God. Why? Because we didn't give up on God even unto death, and God has proven faithful. We didn't give up on God, and now we are in the kingdom of heaven, and it's everything that he said it was going to be. The cloud of witnesses testify to the goodness, the faithfulness, the power of God, and that God fulfills every promise. He is worthy. He is worthy of our praise, of our lives, of our laying down our lives, even in martyrdom. He is worthy of it all. He is worthy. So the kingdom of heaven, it's full of the cloud of witnesses that testify to that, that they live their life only for God, seeking first the kingdom of God, and now they are in it because God has not failed to provide on every one of his promises. And I'll just read the scripture verse for you, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses— Let us also lay aside every weight. So everything that's on that list of people who will not enter the kingdom of God, lay it aside. Lay it aside. All of the cares of this world, all of the things about yourself that you think are so important, your own reputation in the sight of man, all that fear of man you got going on, lay it aside. And the sin which clings so closely, lay it aside. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Why? Because these verses go on. It's not in your study guide, but the verse goes on. Because who is the ultimate hero of the hall of the heroes of the faith? Jesus. Jesus. Hebrews chapter 11 shouldn't end at the end of Hebrews chapter 11. I don't know why they stopped the chapter there. The most major faithful one in all of history is Jesus. He is the one. He is the one. Not counting the shame of the cross. For the joy set before him laid down his life, 
dis, not count who cares about the shame in this world? Who cares that the whole world hates me? Who cares that I'm tortured and belittled and spat upon and whipped and scourged and crucified? For the joy set before him, that's our Jesus. That's the great cloud of witnesses. It's that mentality that will get us into the kingdom of heaven.